What's up, Gumbo listeners? Demetrius here, dropping another Data Protection Gumbo episode for you. And today I have Govan Rangasamy, founder and CEO of Apronix, on. And Govan is a serial entrepreneur and also the founder and CEO of Apronix. With extensive experience in building products in the enterprise cloud management space, Govan founded Apronix with a belief that existing infrastructure-centric backup, recovery, and DR automation solutions need to be completely re-architected to handle application resiliency on the multi-cloud platforms with an application-centric approach. So Gumbo listeners, Govan breaks down what it means for your applications to be truly resilient. Some of the key differences between cloud application resiliency and traditional backup and disaster recovery and explains some of his opinions on introducing chaos engineering into your environment. So let's get right into this episode. Govind, welcome to Data Protection Gumbo. How are you today? Doing great, Demetrius. How are you? I am fantastic and really glad to to bring you on Data Protection Gumbo, so I truly appreciate it. And I am very curious to learn a little bit about Apronix. Do you mind going into the depth of why you started Apronix and, and what you are after in the market with the company? Absolutely. It's an honor to join you uh, in this podcast, obviously. Um, great name and... Uh, uh, I think you have the great viewership as well as, uh, you know, it's spreading more and more. So it's a fantastic arrangement. Uh, so the reason why we started Apranix is because, and as you can see, more and more workloads are going to the cloud, even before the pandemic. The pandemic um, pretty much accelerated the entire uh, migration uh, in the name of digital transformation and so on. But when the workloads go to the cloud, and the entire data protection and entire disaster recovery models need to change because the scale and the dynamism of the cloud is so different from the type of infrastructures that we used to handle before. Um, even if you approached from cloud enablement of the existing applications that have uh, lifted and shifted over to the cloud, or uh, cloud native applications, wherein you know uh, the application workloads running on the containers, taking advantage of the past services or serverless architectures, the dynamism of these applications have tremendously changed, and the scale has changed as well. You know, we are not dealing with uh, 10 VM based application systems; we are dealing with hundreds and thousands of containers and mm-hmm. those containers taking advantage of the backend pass services. So when you think about this type of architecture, it just makes sense to approach the data protection and disaster recovery and everything else around it. And that's what we call it as application resilience and approach the entire process from an application-centric perspective Mm-hmm. thinking that the infrastructure is dynamic and very scalable. Okay. Right? And that's the reason why we started Apranix. You know, App Ranix 
and it has the app. <laughs> I was wondering about that. So okay. That's so, so you did a play on word. So the first part of application and what's the last part? What's the significance of the last part of the name? Uh, so it, three parts to it. Uh, prana, okay. prana in Indian terms is, ah. is life, you know, right? Okay. And then Nix comes from, you know, anything that is completely automated has a Nix in it, autonomics. And so kind of an automation, um, you know, in a short form. So we combined all these and, and made it, you know, completely application-centric mm. for residency. I think that's pretty genius. And, and I may have to use prana and, and something around that specifically in the title because I am a true believer in prana and just the whole idea of, you know, living your purpose and, you know, meditation and yoga and the true spiritual sense of why we are here and um, just, you know, living a holistic life. So I, I, I can definitely feel that, uh, Govin. So we'll digging a little bit into protecting applications and, you know, applications are now uh, cloud native and living in the cloud. So what is cloud application resilience and why do you think that's important? Right. Uh, as I mentioned, because of the application architecture changes and the ability for the cloud providers to provide that shared responsibility model, meaning the cloud platforms take care of the infrastructure resiliency uh, in the sense that uh, they provide uh, enough number of regions and within those regions, you have a number of zones. I mean, zones themselves are huge, huge data centers, right? And the placement of your workloads in those zones and regions are completely automated using uh, software defined in this hyperscaled infrastructure model. So in essence, the cloud platforms, which we call them as cloud operating systems, provide a level of resiliency that is just not possible in the data centers, right? One reason. Second is that when you run your workloads, be it migrated workloads from your data centers or natively created workloads on these cloud platforms, they are scaling or auto-scaled all the time based on the workloads, based on your performance requirements, and so on. And these workloads are taking advantage of cloud-native services. If you think about... Uh, you know, RDS services, or serverless Aurora services, or DynamoDB services, Cloud SQL, CosmoDBs, right? As well as the storage system services. So if you think about in the data center world, you had to create an incremental snapshot capability outside of the core storage systems because of the heterogeneity nature of the storage system themselves. So uh you know newer we call it a newer legacy uh backup and dr companies uh, consolidated all the snapshot oriented data virtualization surrounding those traditional storage vendors but in the cloud those are completely unnecessary if you think about aws and if you think about uh, azure and google they have implemented uh, at the core storage system level a level of data copy management that was just not possible before. 
So now, when you go into the cloud, taking advantage of all of these capabilities for your application right, becomes uh, a lot more important and it is possible. And when you approach everything from an application-centric perspective, now you have the possibility to protect not only your just virtual machines, databases, and file systems and so on. That's like, yes, you have to protect them no matter what, but you have now the opportunity to protect the metadata, the security groups, the load balances, the VPCs, uh, routes, DHCP options, on and on and on, that covers the entire application environment, which means that you can now achieve a level of resiliency that was just not possible before, which means that you have to have a holistic and an innovative approach, and that's what we provide. That's what we call cloud application resiliency. And so you mentioned all of the, the public clouds, you know, AWS, Azure, and, and Google, and so I assume that today you currently support um, all of those platforms. Is that correct? True. Uh, we support all okay. three, all big three. And within those cloud environments, if you're running Kubernetes services or VMware cloud services, we support those as well. And these two services in particular uh, enable um, organizations to go even cross cloud because you have a very well-defined infrastructure that can be uh, made available on demand in another cloud provider, even if you chose to run one of these cloud providers as your primary cloud provider. So even cross-cloud application resilience uh, is possible in the future. Now, Govan, are you, you mentioned Kubernetes. Are you a Kubernetes fan, like a rah-rah, I love Kubernetes, or is it just, okay, another new technology that everyone is just talking about it? What, what, how do you feel about Kubernetes? Kubernetes uh, is good, right? Uh, but, you know, I have been around with this technology industry for so long that I take any new platform technologies with a grain of salt, right? Okay. Um, we uh, were introduced to Kubernetes and overall containers almost like six years ago. We started in 2014, and our platform runs uh, on containers as well as Kubernetes, all of that. But just like any other platform technologies, it takes a lot of time for people to, uh, first of all, port their application or write those applications on these platforms. Uh, Kubernetes is almost like, you know, uh, what is application for Java is, you know, Kubernetes is for the containers, right? So it allows a new ecosystem of components to be um, innovated and evolved over a period of time. Uh, but it is just one of the services within the cloud, right? Just like your database services, uh, your platform services, right? Kubernetes is one of the services, even though it is a very important uh, service to run your, you know, majority of your application components. Okay, great. And everyone has to talk about the pandemic, and you know, luckily we seem we seem to be coming out on the other side of the pandemic. And you know, there are three different vaccines out, and there were some challenges around one of the vaccines, and millions have been vaccinated already, which is a good thing for 
um, to continue that that curve to actually go down as far as people in being infected and people actually dying from from the pandemic. Uh, and I bring that point up to mention, um, you know, how has that affected Apronics? You know, is there growth happening or has that decreased, you know, the amount of customers that you're working with or has it increased the amount of customers that you're working with? Great question. Uh, first of all, thank God that we have found the vaccines and thank God for the cloud platform that enabled finding these vaccines faster, right? Um, so, you know, when, when we think about just Pranix alone, the cloud and the transformation towards a cloud has actually ironically helped us uh, because, you know, we focus completely on the cloud native and cloud enabled applications. And that has really given us a good kind of a baseline for us to continue to grow. Uh, of course, you know, we need to be more visible in the market. Um, and on the other hand, the pandemic has also helped uh, from a go-to-market perspective. Uh, when you think about large vendors uh, that used to rely on the leads coming from, you know, face-to-face uh, -face meetings or, uh, you know, events, uh, you know, face-to-face -face events and things like that, pandemic completely changed that entire interaction model upside down kind of neutralized, created a level playing field that enabled us to kind of become more visible, right? Uh, so in a sense, it really helped us and we didn't lose any customers. That in itself is, a, I think, considered to be a, a decent growth. Uh, if you don't lose a customer, we actually grow, right? And yeah. I know we gained more customers. We doubled the number of customers uh, compared to 2019. So okay. thank God for that. Uh, knock on wood, right? Absolutely. That's that's pretty awesome. And it, it's great, great to hear the, the story around that. And uh, I, I have to be honest, I, I, I only saw Pronix um, within the backup and recovery professionals group that I created. Um, I see quite a few posts uh, in the group about about the company and also just around your solutions and the cloud application resiliency um, piece of it. Um, I also saw something as well on your website that you were also, uh, I guess you received Gartner Cool Vendor. Is that is that correct? Yes, indeed. Um, Gartner, I think. Tell, tell us about that. Absolutely. Uh, Gartner, I think, has been pushing uh, a notion of cloud resilience uh, for some time. Uh, they believe this shared resiliency model where the cloud provider takes a level of resiliency on their hands and uh, the customers are forced to take a uh, uh, level of resiliency for their application. And when Gartner saw our capabilities, they immediately realized that there is a vendor now, right, to go with their thought leadership. And that is when they recognized us as one of the cool vendors in this space. Even though we are now uh, bucketed towards that backup and disaster recovery, I think over a period of time, we believe that. Um, you know, cloud application resilience would become the new business continuity model, mm -hmm. uh, you know, as more and more applications move towards the cloud. Okay. All right. So, yeah, that's that's great. And, you know, Gartner has continued to, you know, produce powerful, you know, research and information about just overall 
lots of industries, especially backup and recovery industry, and everyone looks to 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 make make it into the magic quadrant and move up and to the right than that Gartner uh, magic quadrant. So also, I, I wanted to you know make sure that we are clear about the differences between cloud application resiliency and also traditional backup and disaster recovery. Do you mind clearing that up for us and and maybe giving us your definition of what's the differences between uh, those different types of protecting data? Absolutely. Um, Compared to the traditional uh, backup and DR, we call them BCDR uh, methodologies and the tool sets, there are three distinctive uh, differences. One, uh, cloud application resilience uh, requires uh, the entire application environment protection, not only just the virtual machines, databases, and file systems. You should be able to protect uh, the rest of the application environment uh, resources, including security groups, load balancers, DHCP options, VPCs, and so on. The second aspect is that the way you manage the data copies, right? Uh, cloud application resilience needs the RPOs to go down really further beyond what is now possible and decrease the RTOs much further as well. Right? So in order to reduce that RPO, you don't have a choice other than leveraging what is already built into the cloud platforms using all the forever incremental data copy management movement of those data copies among different regions of the cloud, right? And the ability to manage the entire life cycle of it. Second, the ability to bring up the entire application environments uh, along with all the metadata so that uh, when you think about, let's say, recovering from ransomware failures or, uh, you know, doing chaos engineering tests and so on, the ability to quickly bring up the entire application environment uh, that decreases RTO, total RTO further is, is, is very important. Third, the ability to use infrastructure as code, in particular, the cloud native infrastructure as code. Because, you know, the cloud is very dynamic, scalable, all of that. You know, there is no other way that you can really orchestrate all these resources without the help of the infrastructure as code, are uh, codifying all that infrastructure, completely eliminating the manual DR plans. There is no way that you can create a DR plan and maintain it when these resources are getting auto-scaled. And when you think about Kubernetes, Kubernetes parts are getting created and destroyed all the time. And auto-scaled you know, load-balanced environments expand and shrink depending on the load and performance. So, you know, how do you really create a DR plan, even comparing with traditional backup and recovery, not necessarily application resilience? So, when you think about these three distinct um, approaches, the models, right, uh, that's what we call and that's how we differentiate uh, cloud application resiliency with the rest okay. of the models so far. Wow, you, you said a lot that time. You, you mentioned uh, chaos engineering, which... Uh, I will have you to explain exactly what that is to the gumbo listeners. I know what it is, but you know I want to to get your definition of what it is. And you mentioned infrastructure as code. You also mentioned 
which everyone should be familiar with RPOs and RTOs, recovery time objectives, recovery point objectives. But uh, first, do you mind giving us your definition of, of chaos engineering and also the importance of, of chaos engineering, especially uh, into a, um, a cloud, cloud native world? Absolutely. Um, from our point of view, the chaos engineering is all about introducing failures into your system. When I say system, uh, your application components running on the cloud platform and checking whether that system really able to withstand the infrastructure failures or other failures. So, you know, introduce chaos and introduce the chaos knowingly, right? And see if the systems are able to withstand the failure. The entire notion started when Netflix released Chaos Monkey, right? And when you think about that chaos engineering and, and, and the ability to in, implement that chaos engineering is the complex part. Because when you go to a traditional engineering department that has either just migrated to the cloud or trying to put together the architecture for your new application, cloud native application, when you tell them to introduce those faults in the system knowingly, uh, they hesitate. The reason is because they are already struggling to make sure that the production is running properly, right? And these traditional engineering organizations really relied on change control boards. And any change that you introduce, even creating a storage volume used to be uh, you know, controlled by the change control boards. Now you are asking them to introduce faults at the infrastructure level to make sure the applications run. I mean, that's difficult to kind of implement for them. As conceptually, this sounds great. Sounds crazy. But in practical <laughs> terms, it's very difficult to do. So that's why we are saying, if you had the ability to have what we call a production twin, get an exact copy of your application environment. You can shrink the box around your application environment and recreate it in another VPC, exactly all the metadata and everything, and there you introduce all your faults and everything, right? It's different from the UAT environment because UAT environments are from left to right. You know, it starts from UAT and the changes are introduced into production. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about taking a production twin, almost like a twin of your production, so you know exactly what you're introducing so that once you're comfortable, 90 to 95 percentage of those faults and your system is able to withstand, now you're comfortable introducing the same faults and then continue from there in production directly, right? So that's how we kind of enable the chaos engineering approaches. All right, so I, I really like that. You said production twin. I, I am definitely gonna have to steal that from you, Govin, production twin. Please? I, I haven't heard that term before, but I, I like the concept of it. and. Uh, taking your existing production data and making sure that you have a copy of it and fully leveraging the copy to maybe do development or testing or, you know, some other type of um, or even chaos engineering, you know, with that data instead of just creating that copy and allowing that copy to just sit stagnant just for recovery one day. Let's also talk a little bit about you mentioned infrastructure as code. And so that's the automation component of um, just the way of doing things and the way of scaling 
um, a company or your production systems or, you know, just whatever your environment happens to be. As far as APIs are concerned, how, how important are APIs and also making sure that you are leveraging the APIs across your platform and also integrating into other platforms with APIs as well? Absolutely. So API uh, are becoming more important. I talk, started talking about API almost like 10 years ago when cloud platforms really push the entire infrastructure to be API enabled, right? The ability to create a storage volume through the API and attach that storage volume to the compute. It's a phenomenal kind of a change from an operating model perspective. So since then, I mean, it's now almost like an API economy, right? So from that point of view, an API are very, very key. Uh, with respect to application resilience, uh, the only way we feel uh, that um, organizations can realistically achieve application resilience because of the dynamism of the cloud as well as the scale of the cloud is by enabling the developers to make use of these capabilities, right? Uh, as more and more uh, cloud infrastructures are getting created by the developers, our developer-like operations people like site reliability engineers, SREs, uh, you know, when we enable these API-based capabilities for application resilience, we can pretty much shift left the entire burden of the protection from the hands of just a few that are struggling to even take care of the, you know, uh, security and other aspects within the cloud application environment. So we can take away some of the burden from the backup and DR administrators and enable the developers and SREs to automatically protect that environment that they are working on using simply API, right? That way, all they have to do is to use the API and add the labels, the tags uh, to their infrastructure when they code their infrastructure so that along with the infrastructure, the protection automatically starts for that infrastructure, right? Based on the policies that organizations have, you know, for example, RPO and RTU expectations. Okay. And you, you just mentioned another term that I just became familiar with. Uh, I was having another conversation and she mentioned shift left and it's actually a thing. And she actually broke down exactly what it means. And there were these different boxes which showed design and test and, you know, all these different boxes of, I guess, development, software development and, and agile and scrum and, you know, the entire product development life cycle, um, et cetera. So these are all important things. And it's great that uh, we are able to introduce these to the data protection gumbo listeners because, you know, going above and beyond traditional backup and now opening your mind up to learn everything that cloud has to offer um, just for, for, for your organization. Uh, the final question that I want to ask you, Govan, is uh, wh what are your views about artificial intelligence and are you planning on utilizing uh, any, any of that technology or maybe you just have you know, a viewpoint around artificial intelligence? Well, absolutely. In fact, our patent is based on, um, you know, artificial intelligence helping 
the application resilience, cloud application resilience. Um, so we view uh, artificial intelligence and around the tool set uh, of that artificial intelligence from a couple of different ways. One is eliminate the toil. I, I think I'm introducing another term here. I mean, this is, uh, you know, reduce the non-productive menial work of managing the cloud infrastructure, right? Uh, reduce the toil uh, continuously, you know, it's, it's not just one time, it, it's a reduction over a period of time. Uh, so that really requires beyond just automation, it, it requires an ability to continuously learn uh, in particular from the existing cloud application environments. So without really understanding what's going on within the environment, it's very difficult to really protect and uh, reproduce or uh, recover those environments. So that's where I think it goes beyond uh, the human or a single human's ability to manage and, and protect the entire environment. That's where we need artificial intelligence type of uh, technologies. And uh, second thing is the application verification, right? If you think about the traditional recovery models, uh, you know, after the infrastructure is recovered, you will have to go through ton of other configurations and as well as all the logs and everything to verify your application has been completely recovered. I mean, it's like, uh, it's very difficult for human beings to go and verify. This is almost like 50% of the work after the recovery is done. So your RTO is not your real RTO as it stands today because you will have to measure your RTO from an application-centric point of view, whether my ERP system is back up and running or not, right? Bringing up just the infrastructure alone is not sufficient. Now, if you try to really use human beings in these situations, they can only comprehend and understand all the logs and everything coming out of those systems. Is the only way you could use is to let the automation, let the system learn from those logs, from the production, and see if the recovered environment has matched the production environment logs and production environment applications. So in these two scenarios, in particular, from an application resiliency perspective, artificial intelligence could be used. Okay, well, awesome, uh, Govind. I I can continue the conversation on, but we're, we're up against time here, and I have truly, truly learned quite a bit from you, and I am also sure the Gumbo listeners have also learned a thing or two as well. As far as, you know, if a Gumbo listener would like to reach out to you, um, you mind providing maybe one of your social media handles that someone can get in touch with you on? Absolutely. It is at uh, Apranix1 on Twitter and on the uh, LinkedIn side, you know, we have uh, Apranix as one of the, uh, you know, handles. You can reach out to us um, and of course, you know, you can find us at um, www.apranix.com. All right. Well, I've definitely had a pleasure uh, just, you know, picking your brain about, you know, the technology and also what Apranix does. So, Thank you again for appearing on Data Protection Gumbo and you enjoy the rest of your day. It's a privilege. Thank you, Demetrius.
Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.